Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the newest episode of the Scoring Long Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. It's an exciting time in Eugene at the moment. The Oregon Ducks baseball team is two wins away from their first trip to the College World Series in over 70 years. Uh, They swept their way through the Nashville Regional over the weekend and will host Oral Roberts for a three-game series in in the Eugene Super Regional this coming weekend. Uh, It's their first Super Regional since 2012. To break it all down, I'm going to bring on 247 Sports' Jared Mack, a good friend of mine, someone I've worked closely with over the past couple of years, covering all Oregon sports, Oregon football especially, but he's been on this Oregon baseball beat in Medina. A really good job of covering it, so... He's going to give us a look at the the Oregon team and help dig into Oral Roberts as we look forward. We will get back to football talk next week, but for now, we're focused on baseball and Oregon's potential trip to Omaha. Let's get into it. Right, I've got Jared Mack uh, from 247 Sports Duck Territory with me. You can follow him at Jared underscore Mack7 on Twitter. Uh, he's got some really great coverage of both on Duck Territory and Austin Audible's podcast with Matt Preem and Eric Scopel, uh, one of my good friends hanging out at Duck Practices and Media Availabilities. Jared, thank you for coming on. How are you doing? Zach, thank you. I'm, I'm doing well. You know, No complaints. How about yourself? I'm, I'm doing great. That's a there's a little bit of a buzz in Eugene right now. It feels like the last month oh, yeah. or so has been pretty quiet since spring football, but Oregon baseball, Oregon softball, different topic, but they've been uh, giving us something to, to watch and cheer for. So it's been a lot of fun. I'm sure you, of all people, are really enjoying this time, right? Yeah, it's been a hoot. Um, you know, I've been waiting for an opportunity to cover a regional or a super regional while I've been here in Eugene after graduating, uh, and I got it this year. So I'm extremely excited. It's been a fun little postseason journey for the Ducks, uh, and it continues starting this Friday. So let's go ahead and get right into it. The Ducks are currently on a nine-game winning streak. Uh, before that, they lost eight of nine. So let's go back to the end of April before both of those things happened. Did you ever see a world where a Super Regional was possible for this team? Was this a, a team where you thought that was you know in their cards? Uh, to be honest, like during that late April, early May stages, no, I didn't. But be- like two weeks before then, absolutely. Um, this was a team that had won 16 of 20 games until uh, Jay Stoffel was hurt. Uh, he's dealing with a, a nerve issue in his throwing hand and his throwing finger. Um, and that's sidelined him for the last month, last six weeks, basically. And that's kind of the the talking point when it comes to Oregon is they had that eight game losing streak like you mentioned. Um, they fell out of the Pac-12 title contention, at least the regular season title contention. Dropped all the way to the to the sixth seed. You know, got swept by Washington at home. Lost two or three on the road to USC, um, and went into the final series of the regular season against Utah, the last team in the or the last team in the standings for the Pac-12. Uh, basically needing to either sweep or take two or three from the Utes to keep their any any postseason hope alive. Um, and they did exactly that. So to answer the question, um, for a lot of the season, I thought that they were a regional host. I really did. Um, but again, that that late, late April, mid-May, 
that was a tough stretch right there. A uh, lot, of, lot of negativity going around. Um, and, you know, college baseball will always, and baseball in general, will always have injuries. Um, but when you really only have one really good starting pitcher and he's hurt, uh, that, that certainly affects the outcome of what your team's going to be doing on a week, week-to-week basis. Absolutely. So you've done a, a really good job covering the, the minutia of a long baseball season. I'm bringing you on for the novices, for the casual fans, kind of for myself in a sense. I know we've talked before, <laughs> baseball's not my favorite sport. I enjoy playing baseball all the time, but um, I'm among my friend group notorious for, I mean, my friends have a, a text chain that's, I mean, they're, they're like you, they're super into baseball. I join the text thread once playoffs start, once wildcard mm. weekend and the MLB starts, and minutes after that final out <clears throat> is is caught in the you're World d- Series, I leave I leave the text thread. It's I think we're on like four or five years running running of me doing this. So I'm what you would call a casual fan. I, I really enjoy baseball when there's incredible stakes. I think it's probably one of the best best sports there is. I mean, playoff baseball, there's there's nothing that beats it. So but the you know, as many casual fans say, the season's a little bit long for me. So it's um, we're we're doing this podcast for those fans today. So for the fans just tuning in, who are the names to know and the players that have really led this Oregon team? Describe this team to someone who will be watching them play for the first time this weekend against Oral Roberts. Uh, it's it's a good it's a good question for the casual fans. Uh, I, I would say overall, this team uh, this team thumps if I could say that. Mm-hmm. Um, they they hit the crap out of the ball. They're they're a very well hitting team. Uh, one through nine, basically, they have a bunch of guys who could carry an offense. Uh, it's basically single handedly just strap the team to their back and and uh, you know start producing some runs. And they've had that happen multiple times this season. Um, and then overall, the pitching has been tremendous the last two weeks. Um, but that hasn't always been the case for this team. Uh, that's kind of been their Achilles heel all year long. Um, they had some season long ending injuries to. Uh, Isaac Aon and RJ Gordon, two guys that that Oregon had anticipated that they would um, pitch plenty of innings and probably be their two of their starters uh, this entire season. Uh, they've been out since fall, basically, so like football season. Um, so pitching has been a bit of Achilles heel. Uh, the offense has continued to rake. Um, I guess some 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 names. Obviously, Tanner Smith is the elder statesman of the group. He's in his fifth and final season as a Duck, and this is his first Super Regional. This is the second time that he's been on a team that has hosted some type of regional. Uh, 2021, the team hosted uh, Louisiana State and a couple other teams uh, with a chance to get to the Super Regional, but they lost. Um, I mean, he's been the kind of the lifeblood of this program the last couple of years. He's the most recognizable face on the team. Um, and he and Gavin Grant, another senior and a starter, and Drew Callie, another senior and another very good player, um, those guys are like like Tanner Smith, they're the elder statesman of the group. And, you know, a lot of the younger guys after the Pac-12 tournament, I was there for that. And I asked them, what does it mean to, you know, win the tournament and do this for Tanner and Drew and Gavin? Um, and all the younger guys said, like, this is why they, they play for the Ducks. This is this is it. Like the, the special moments, the experiences that they're able to do for those three individuals um, made it worth it and made everything worth it for the entire season, even though it's a long season, like we said. Um, <laughs> but just some some more names. Sabine Ceballos, uh, third baseman for the Ducks. Uh, it's just tremendous. Just a, a fantastic player, great on both sides of the ball. Um, Colby Shade, another guy who's uh, 
who's fine offensively. He doesn't draw walks. He hits a little bit for power. He's fast. But watching him play defense is a luxury. I've been blessed basically the last two seasons to watch him patrol PK Park. Um, he does it with such ease, with such class. Uh, he basically glides to any ball out there in the outfield. Anytime it's hit, you, you're, you're pretty confident that he's going to catch it. Uh, and then lastly, but certainly not least, I think this is the most important player for, for new fans to pay attention to. So if you are a new fan, please listen. Riku Nishida. R-I- you two I want to talk about, yes. Yes. R-I-K-U-U, Nishida, N-I-S-H-I-D-A. Um, I don't even know where to start. This guy is just electric. Uh, he's a five foot six player from Mount Hood Community College. Spent two seasons there after moving from Japan. Um, he beats to his own drum, to say the least. And some examples <laughs> a, of this. A perfect way to say that. He he does his own thing. And an example is he uses a wood bat about eighty to ninety percent of the time. Uh, for those unfamiliar, wood bats are only used in the professional league, the MLB. Mm-hmm. Uh, in college baseball, you use BB core composite bats, and those are much easier to hit than a wood bat. So if you want to use a wood bat, it is legal, but it is significantly harder. And all Riku has done this season is hit 322, five home runs, 37 RBIs, and stolen th- 25 bases with that wood bat. So he's pretty good. Um, another was cool just thing named that- the, the regional MVP as well after exactly. hitting 500 with, what, three yeah. RBIs? Three RBIs all coming in the final game on a bases clearing double to right center. He's uh, he's electric. Uh, the last thing I'll say about him, uh, no, I got two more things. One is that he moved from second base to right field during the middle of the season, and he's done very well in right field, and it's also very fun to watch out there. Uh, and the last thing is if you attend a game or watch the game, I'm sure they'll talk about this on the broadcast, but watch Nishida's practice swing before he steps into the box because mm-hmm. he swings right-handed in his practice swing to step into the box as a left-hander. So yeah, again, beats to his own drum. Yeah. I, I definitely had my own question, quote unquote, what is his deal is what I was going to ask you. And so I, you, you did a good job of explaining there, but I mean, as someone who's covered this team all year, have you, I'm sure you've had the opportunity to ask him kind of why he does this. I mean, a thing that they talked about on the broadcast a lot is when he's on second base or whatever, he gets on base, he's kind of dancing around and, and mm-hmm. literally dancing out there, kind of playing with the with the pitcher. While it's it's fun for a fan to watch, the broadcasters were saying, yeah, this sometimes may be distracting for the, the batter who's up there. And they kind of see him in the corner of their eye out there just moving around. And they called him the Energizer Rabbit a number of times because he just literally doesn't stop moving. So have you talked to him? Do you kind of know like why he does this this way? So we've talked to Riku once. Um, his English just isn't very good, which it is yeah. what it is. He's from Japan. Yeah. Um, but basically, he just does this because he can, and he kind of does it on yeah. feel. Like, you know, we, we asked him why he uses a, a wood bat. Um, he just likes it better. It's a pretty simple answer, okay. but, you know, it works. Uh, I asked him why does he do his practice swing from the right side. Um, I think he said, I don't know. And it's just kind of like what he does, like that's just kind of his feel. Like, and, and that's the type of player that he is. He's all feel. Um, like you said, the Energizer Bunny comments, not only just standing at second base, um, but in the box. I mean, he's constantly moving. Um, yeah. He's toe tapping with both of his feet. Um, he's stepping back to move his momentum and then moving forward to swing. Um, mm-hmm. It's really crazy what he does. Uh, and it's just been a pleasure to watch him this season for a full year. Um, I remember seeing him for the first time in the fall when I went to some of the baseball practices then. And 
I was basically like, who the heck is this guy? Um, and yeah. I called Danny Sales, who was Mount Hood Community College's coach, and, and I kind of got a rundown on him. And he's exactly what Danny Sales said. Uh, he's just an energizer bunny. He moves around. He's fast. He's quick twitch. Um, he's kind of strong, too, with the wood bat. Um, mm-hmm. And he's just been – I don't think I've ever seen a player like him. He's a one-of-a-kind player. Yeah, he is incredibly captivating, I think is the word. Mm-hmm. It's just it, when he's on your screen, it's impossible not to be watching him. And I forget who it was. I think it was maybe Tyson with I five quarter that had a story about him or someone earlier in the season that kind of went into a little it was bit Tyson, more about yeah. him. Well, it was Tyson, right? That was mm-hmm. a really good story. Have you seen this maybe a really, really hard question to answer, but have you seen any type of philosophy but behind his bat choice? Have you seen that when he goes up with a wood bat, he's trying to do this. Or when he goes up with the composite, he's trying to do this. Has, has that kind of any trends come out of that at all? You know, maybe. I, I mean, we asked him and he just said that he goes whatever, like with whatever feels good. Like he'll pick up mm-hmm. multiple bats and be like, all right, I'm going <clears> to <throat> use this one today. And we asked his teammates and they said the same thing. Like he just picks up bats okay. and he's like, all right, I'm going to use the wood today. Um, I will say in certain situations where Oregon might need an extra base hit, he uses mm-hmm. a wood bat. And that's okay. probably because you will get – if you square up a baseball between a wood bat and a composite bat, it will travel and be hit harder on a wood bat because it's it's, it's just denser than a composite bat is, which is surprising, but that's just how it is. Um, so I think like in the final game against Xavier in that night – in that whatever that was, sixth inning where he hit the double, mm-hmm. he used a wood bat and he had been mm-hmm. using a composite earlier in the game. So I think that might be something, but yeah. – He's used it so often this year that it is kind of hard to tell if there is like a certain characteristic trait on why he uses it. But I think in some of my deciphering of Riku Nishida that that has been something I've found. <laughs> yeah, I'd be I'd be super interested to see a numbers breakdown on on what the uh, you know what the spray chart is first with wood bat versus composite. I think that there there probably is a method to his madness, but it probably is quite a bit more madness than method at this point. Like you said, just Mm -hmm. someone who feels the game and goes with that. Um, Another standout player I want to talk to you about is, is Sabine, what, Sabalos? Sabayos? Sabayos. Sabayos, thank you. Obviously, Mm -hmm. he was outstanding in regionals. That's where he caught my eye. They kept saying on the broadcast that he's a better catcher than a third baseman, which is saying something because he was pretty incredible at third base. So um, what are your thoughts on that? Does he have a future at catcher or third base in the in the MLB and why is he not playing catcher right now if he is better which based on your reaction you may not think so so i don't think he's a better catcher um i've watched i've been watching sabine since september uh and mm-hmm. he's made some phenomenal plays at third base while i've been watching him granted the one time that he did play catcher uh i wasn't there so thank okay. you football um, so I missed that practice, but head coach Mark Wazikowski has, has certainly sung praises about how good he is as a catcher. Um, at San Jack Community College, he did play catcher. Um, I think there is some buzz about him moving to catcher because at third base, um, he doesn't, he certainly makes some plays. He's a very good defender, um, but he's not that elite level defender. And he doesn't have a great, great arm strength. He makes all the routine throws, but, um, you know, there's going to be some trouble at the at the higher leagues than there is in college. So you kind of look around like, okay, where else can we move him? Can we move him to second? Well, maybe, but he's not that fast. 
Uh, can we move him to third or can we keep him at third? Excuse me. Uh, yeah, maybe, but his arm strength isn't great. Um, he's got kind of limited range. And again, these are all nitpicky things. This is just mm-hmm. what, you know, MLB draft scouts are going to be saying by the time he rolls around to the draft. Um, catcher could be an option for sure. But, you know, I think he's I think he's a superior infielder. I think his hands are better there. Again, I've never really seen him play too much catcher other than on tape. Um, and he does fine back there. It's not like he's bad or anything like that. But um, he's incredibly versatile. And the reason why he's not playing catcher this season is that Oregon already has like 17 of them. Uh, they have uh, five five catchers on roster. Uh, Bennett Thompson, Josiah Cromwick, Anson Arrows, uh, Chase Meggers, and then Sabine Ceballos would be the fifth one. Um, and the guys in front of him, like Anson Arrows, Bennett Thompson, Josiah Cromwick, that's kind of been like a rotating uh, a revolving door, I should say, of catchers throughout the season. Um, Bennett Thompson is the hottest catcher right now, uh, and he's doing really well. He has been since the Utah series, so they're rolling with him. Um, and he's been—he was unbelievable last May in 2022. He's been spectacular in this June or this May and June of 2023. So, could be something about the weather where he also just heats up. But um, there's no need to kind of <laughs> mix and match their lineup at this yeah. point and move people around. I mean, they've been firing on all cylinders now for two and a half weeks. Definitely. So give me your take on Oral Roberts. I heard you talking to Matt on the, uh, the Austin Audible's podcast yesterday. Um, we talk about, you know, Oregon is hot and on a nine game winning streak. If you want to talk about hot Oral Roberts is riding a 21 mm-hmm. game winning streak and they swept mm-hmm. their regional as well. So while fans might hear Oral Roberts and think, Oh yeah, that's a smaller school. They play, I believe it's in the summit league. Um, yep. They might be, you know, someone who who Oregon should have an easy time with. I after listening to you and Matt talk and and doing some of my own research, it's like, oh, okay, this is a, an incredibly good team. I I read a piece by the Athletic that build this is one of the most interesting super regionals this week because these two teams are really hot and and really talented. Mm-hmm. So, what is your early scouting report on the Golden Eagles? Uh, yeah, I mean, for people who think that Oregon is going to like kind of sleepwalk over Oral Roberts because they're from the Summit League and Oregon is on this nine game winning streak against, frankly, mostly power five level competition. Watch out. This Oral Roberts team is very good. Um, like you said, Neil, they're 49 and 11. They're 23 and one in conference. They've lost <laughs> two games. They've lost two games since April 1st. And I think uh, the last one was on April 5th. So it's been damn near two months since they've lost a single baseball game, um, which is pretty impressive. And they that uh, Stillwater Regional, you know, you can make all the Oklahoma State jokes you want, um, which is kind of just a college baseball thing. But those are some tough teams. Uh, DBU mm-hmm. is a top 30 RPI team. Uh, Washington could hit the heck out of the ball, as we've seen at PK Park. Um, so for Oral Roberts to go in there – and not only take down Oklahoma State in game one, but outslug Washington and then outpitch DBU in the championship game and sweep that regional. That's very impressive. Um, and they're loaded. You know, you talk about how Oregon is loaded top to bottom. I think Oregon has six or seven guys in their starting nine that hit over 300, which is a great mark. Don't get me wrong. Um, mm-hmm. Oral Roberts has eight of nine guys hitting over 300. Um, and their worst hitter. I get by statistics is Drew Stahl. Star, sorry, Drew, you're just at the bottom of the list. But he's only, you know, he's hitting 275 with an 889 OPS. Like he still has 11 tanks this year. And, and right, exactly. And 53 RBIs, 387 OVP. So he knows what he's doing. He can swing the wood. And 
that's just what this team does. I mean, they they really score the baseball. And on the flip side, their pitching is pretty darn good as well with Brooks Fowler and Jacob Hall. It's just a very well-rounded team. And I know this may sound you know, silly of me to say those like very uh, generalizing characteristics of a team that's 49-11 because, well, duh, Jared, of course they're a good team. But they are. Like I, I don't want to put them very like lightly in this situation. Um, like that athletic article said, this is certainly one of the more interesting super regionals because of how hot both these teams are. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen. Well, I think it's going to be some really good baseball being played at PK Park. Um, I'm very excited to go there and watch this series just because I get to watch Oral Roberts in person and get to see Oregon again in PK Park and sit up there in the press box to, you know, hopefully a, a, a full PK Park with a nice crowd and everything like that, some good weather. Um, but I think just with the way both these teams are playing, it's going to be a fun three-game set. So you said that you don't know what's going to happen, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try and get a prediction out of you. Do you have any type of feeling? I know it's it's really tough. These are two really really good and evenly matched teams. Do you have any sort of feeling? Um, if you were to put betting odds, would you uh, give Oregon a slight edge? Mm. Yeah, betting odds. I think I'd give Oregon a slight edge because they're playing at home. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think it would be too much. It'd probably be like plus one seventy five, one ninety five. But that's okay. just because they're playing at home. Because yeah. Oregon's bullpen and starting staff has been, like, gosh, like superhuman the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. And they've really only been using like eight to nine dudes. Um, so that worries me a lot. Like, can this yeah. continue to step up? Uh, you know, I've been hearing that Jay Stoffel and Isaac Aon have been ready to pitch for the last three weeks and none of them have Interesting. pitched. So, okay. um, I mean, this is all on the record too. Like we've asked yeah. head coach Mark Wazikowski every time that we get to talk to him. He's like, ah, oh, yeah, day to day, but they haven't pitched in a while. Um, I just, that worries me a good bit, especially against this Oral Roberts team. Not that Oregon didn't play good opponents, but you know, Vanderbilt wasn't uh, Vanderbilt of old. They had some weaknesses in their lineups. Avery was a good hitting team and Oregon kind of demolished them. But, and then the Pac-12 tournament, they did well, but to do it three weeks in a row, it's what needs to happen for Oregon mm-hmm. to move on. But uh, my lone prediction of this series, I'll leave you with this. This goes three games. We'll be okay. seeing everybody on Sunday. Okay. Yeah, I like that. that. That should be a lot of fun. All right, last question before we get you out of here. We've talked be- we've talked before about, you know, your kind of career goal or your aspiration is to, to cover a true baseball school and a school that's, you mm-hmm. know, competing for Super Regionals and College World Series appearances year in and year out. So, first of all, congrats on this year. I know that this is a <laughs> lot of fun for you. Um, if you, if you had the choice, would you rather cover the ducks in Omaha or would you rather cover Oregon football in the college football playoff? Ooh, good question. Does my company pay for both of them? Yes. We'll say they do. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) oh man, that's a tough one. Um, Neil, you've stumped me. I don't really know what to I love it. I didn't know that I'd get you this hard. I thought it'd be an easy answer. Well, you know, I mean, surface level, it should be because I'm the baseball guy. The college football yeah. playoffs, though, I, I do enjoy, like, covering a high-profile football game. Like, even though mm-hmm. Oregon got slapped around, like, going to Georgia, going to the Rose Bowl. Um, Ohio State a couple years ago. Ohio State. Yeah, like, those games are awesome to go to. There's just a different level. Um, I'd really love to choose both, but. <laughs> well, um, obviously. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, 
Yeah, well, give me Omaha. I'm the baseball guy, so yeah. I'll get a couple more games out of there. Um, it's, that's also a ruckus environment for college baseball lovers, even though there's not as many of us. But, yeah, give me Omaha. Uh, and, you know, fortunately, Oregon is only two wins away from doing that, so maybe we'll have a chance to do that this year. Absolutely. I hope that I – know, I know that we all hope for Oregon's sake and for your sake that, that they get this through <laughs> and they can get to the finish line, get to Omaha. All right, Jared. I appreciate it. Yeah, so thank you so much for coming on this uh, this after this morning for us to, to talk about baseball and kind of preview this this super regional. Uh, follow him at Jared underscore Max Seven on Twitter. Austin Audible's podcast do a great job with Matt Preem and Eric Scopa. Like I said, follow all his coverage on DuckTerritory.com. Uh, Jared, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you having me on, brother. Stay safe. Mm-hmm.